We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome to the program Andy Ciara. He's the showrunner for a new show on NBC called The Resort. Andy, thanks for stopping by, man. How are you? Uh, great, great. Thank you for having me. So tell me this showrunner thing, and then we'll get right into The Resort, because I saw the trailer, and it just looks action-packed. Any, It could happen to anyone, but let's talk a little bit about uh, what a showrunner does. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I... I created the show and uh, I, I wrote the first episode and kind of like the whole like season outline and then I went over to um, Sam Esmail who is the he produced that uh, he created that show Mr. Robot and Homecoming and um, teamed up with him and then we took it out to his home studio at UCP and, and sold it to Peacock and then from that point on I kind of just assembled a writer's room wrote the season uh, and uh, hired you know everyone from directors to costume designers to production designers uh, all that uh, and then we gathered our crew and filmed out in Puerto Rico um, for about four and a half months earlier this year and then I was after that I was uh, kind of the showrunner <laughs> stays through post-production and all the editing process and uh, I finally uh, I've now just moved back into my own home office because we are officially done with the show as of a week ago so okay so tell me specifically where in Puerto Rico you guys filmed uh, we were filming kind of all over the island and, uh, and like kind of like our home base was in San Juan and we, we took over this, uh, 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 Ritz and it became our, our kind of home base for about a month where we turned this, uh, we made it into a 2007, uh, hotel. And this is our production designer kind of remade the whole entire thing basically from the bones of the Ritz. And then we also, uh, flipped it over into a, an, an abandoned, uh, 2022 hotel that's kind of being overtaken by the jungle and kind of being reclaimed by the jungle. And that was just like one of our resorts. And uh, as I've said uh, in other interviews, it's a, uh, it's a show called The Resort that by the end of the fourth episode, we actually destroy the resort and it, it, it becomes a jungle adventure uh, and into, into, into the wild, basically. All right. So let's talk about just the premise without giving anything away. Again, it premieres tonight on NBC. And then also Peacock, you can catch up on episodes in the Peacock Network. I've been watching that since I've been traveling and I'm, I'm into it. I said, I got to get the Peacock Network now because it just gives you everything. You don't need any other type of streaming place, bottom line, you know, OTT networks are just where everything's going. But tell me specifically about the resort, just the premise of the show. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, uh, it's about a married couple uh, played, uh, who go down to a resort for, to celebrate their 10-year anniversary. And this marriage is kind of like at this lull. And then the first day that they're there, Emma, who is played by uh, Kristen Milioti, um, she finds this old cell phone in the jungle, an old razor, and uh, which belonged to a kid who went missing 15 years ago. And then this, this mystery kind of uh, provides a keyhole into a much larger, bizarre, uh, surreal mystery that she and her husband, uh, Noah, who's played by Will, Will Jackson Harper, um, solve. As, and as a result, like, you know, the question is, will this save their marriage or uh, or are they doomed? Um, and it, but it, this, it, and it takes them on this wild adventure that uh, kind of transcends time. And uh, and then, like I like I said, it it it, it kind of goes more in Indiana Jones realm at the for the second half of the series. OK, so and then we have to find that out for sure each and every week. And then in the, and then or binge watch as we all do, Andy, now as binge watch. So when you create series. You think about that in mind compared to the days of, you know, where it's weekly and people really could only catch up, maybe decide to go to the website. And now people just binge an entire show in two days. Do you think of that in the way? Yeah, I, I, developed? absolutely. And I think that, uh, like, I, I'm, I'm so happy with the way that Peacock wanted to release this because 
Yes, it's going to be on NBC tonight. But if anyone who is intrigued by this first episode, they can go over to Peacock where we've already, we already have the first, we'll have had the first six episodes and starting tomorrow, I'll have the first seven episodes up. So you can binge it if you want, but people who have been watching it um, along the way, they're doing the weekly drop. And, you know, this is another big influence in the show is, is Lost too. And I, and I was uh, an obsessed college kid analyzing each each episode of lost every week because i think that that conversation between the weeks so you can't just binge it all at once that helps too i think that that's an exciting part of the viewing process i think for tv so i think this this show hopefully can kind of like satisfy both if people would rather binge it um by andy i'm gonna i'm gonna gonna binge it i'm already it's already ready to binge i mean because i just from the trailer alone i say i'm binging this because again you talk about the resort, Puerto Rico, talking about the, the jungles, all the things that are in the show, and then also just the mystery. You like yeah. that kind of thing. And so you kind of, when you're looking at the show and putting this all together, you looked at Lost. So is that cool as a creator like you are to kind of say, man, I can now look at some of my favorite types of genres of stuff I've grown up watching and then put it and create it into my own thing? Is that cool or what? Oh, yeah, it's it's it's. It's like a, a big giant sandbox for playing in, so uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of the best. Like, and this is this ex- uh, show is exactly that. It's a combination of like all the the movies and 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 books and stories that I've, I grew up with and kind of thrown into this this wild wonder. So, where in the where in the jungle did you film in Puerto Rico? In the jungle, uh, we're we're in a uh, Monagas, um, which is this this park there, and we were kind of just all over this entire this, this big mountain. And then for the last like three weeks of the filming, we actually went over the Dominican Republic, where um, there are some more jungles and some uh, some without 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 giving away the ending, just some other. Uh, parts of the land that, that we are able to film in. Um, uh, and then there's also some big stages there. And we have a, we have some big builds, uh, some big set builds that are for uh, the, our finale. So, um, and the Dominican Republic had, uh, had everything we needed there, so. So what are you hoping that the, the viewers get out of it? What do you hope they get? Do you want um, to be thrill, yeah. thrill or the thought process of what can happen to anybody? Because this can happen to anybody, truly, you, and maybe a little bit less of an extent. But you could end up going on vacation to be the vacation of hell. And so, yeah, it's a uh, you know, it's it's not. At, I would say it's not at all the show that you th- you think it is when you when you watch the uh, after the trailer. But like after the first episode, it's it's not just about a like a couple at a resort. It really becomes this you know, this couple trying to recapture what went wrong in their, in their marriage and in their lives that got to them, got them to this point in their life. And they're doing that by trying to solve this mystery of what happened to these two missing uh, young adults. And we also are going into that story in the past. The, the, the two kids are played by Skylar Gisondo and Nina Bloomgarden. And um, uh, Nina's dad is, uh, or Violet's dad is played by Nick Offerman. And it's like, that's a huge part of that, sh- the, the story as well. And, uh, and then it becomes this like uh, this this attempt to recapture your past the entire time. So what I'm hoping for people to like kind of get from it is like in, in, in an attempt to recapture your past, uh, it can both be sad and also just like silly and, and funny and thrilling. And uh, and then by the end, um, hope, hopefully like an, on a very, very simple uh, my, my, my simple goal here is that I have two I have two kids. I. Uh, uh, after I put in the bed at night, I have about a half hour before I fall asleep. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to like, you know, have a bowl of ice cream or a glass of wine and, and watch something entertaining for a half hour. 
And my goal is like have something that can be that. But also there's this other part of myself like that part that would like watch Lost or, or, or read recaps of Mad Men every week to kind of like analyze it where I uh, if, if you want to crack the codes of the show, uh, if you want to lean in and, and read, go on Reddit and go go down a, a little spiral like that, you can do that, too, because this, this is a very intensely, intensely layered show that has answers to everything if you want to find the answers. I love that. And that's that's exactly what you want. Action, intrigue a storyline, people that you want to follow, think about those specific things and all that. And, you know, kind of recapturing the past, you know, I, again, uh, another show I love on NBC is Young Rock and I'm a former mm-hmm. professional wrestler. So taking the journey of watching uh, Dwayne go all the way to, you know, where it's gone in the first two seasons, what I love about the fact is that, oh my God, this reminds me of when I was in Memphis. I was in yeah. Memphis when The Rock was there, by the way. I went there, <laughs> he wore my knee pads and one TV taping in Memphis. So recapturing your past saying, okay, now I want to recapture that. Maybe I got to get yeah. back in the ring. So your hope is that, you know, in a, in a couple's relationship, all these different things, look at ways that this speaks to you, but also you can escape reality for 30 yes. for the time period. That's that's yeah. the ultimate goal. And you now and you're creating are looking at things in the next generation of where television is going. And that's series binge watching. Mm-hmm. How can you keep you on the edge of their seats so they're gonna ready to go and say, okay, I'm gonna watch another episode? That's yeah. ultimately the goal. Great. Yeah. Any, exactly. other, any other projects you have going on? People can check you out and stuff, follow you and stuff. Is there places? Um yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I, before this, I wrote this movie uh, called Palm Springs, um, and that came out like right in the dead center of, pan- of the pandemic, and that was a. Uh, so I have another thing I'm, I'm, I'm doing with that was with Andy Samberg. I have another thing I'm doing with Andy Samberg, um, and then the other thing is like we'll, we'll see if. Uh, I mean, this season one of, of the resort, it's a, it is a complete story. There's, there's not really any loose threads. Uh, it gives a jumping off point, perhaps, for a, a, a character, uh, and you know, so. <laughs> to watch and then peacock will like say hey well let's do a second season so that's uh it's kind of the hope here so and follow you are you on social media instagram What's best uh, follow you? not really i i have i have i have a private instagram that uh and i'm not on twitter uh i've i've decided to kind of like i don't know the world scares me so i've i've i've, <laughs> I've uh you just he's just a great creator i i, I, I I just post I just post photos of my my kids to my, to my friends on Instagram. So. Okay. But what I'm seeing what I'm seeing is the next step for you is you know continue to great success in what you're doing and I hope great success with the resort and then it's on NBC tonight at what time? 8 p.m. Eastern? Uh, I, I I believe it's at 9 p.m. Yeah. right right after America's Got Talent. So yeah, uh-huh. uh, right after so it's a perfect the jump from yeah. America's Got Talent to right to wow, that's going to be huge yeah. for you. So I appreciate yeah. it, Andy uh, thanks again. And hey, man, feel free to come jump on the show any other time. And I uh, appreciate it. And best of luck with all your ventures. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank You're you welcome. so much for having me. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show. And I really am interested in talking to this person today. My guest today is Lakshmi Devi. She's an, she is a director, actor, and everything. And how are you today, Lakshmi? And it's very interesting. Doctor turned filmmaker who wrote and directed <laughs> stars in when the music changes. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. All right. So let's kind of just talk about specifically enough, 
You were a doctor first. How did this all happen that you got involved in this other stuff? You know, it all starts from one thing and then yeah. another. That's it happens in life and everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, well, um, so almost all of the women in my family are doctors. So when I was growing up, uh, you know, that's kind of what I thought I wanted to be. And don't get me wrong. I still love medicine. I love science. But after I got into med school is when I kind of realized that I had an affinity towards the arts. So I got into med school uh, and I had started modeling and that led on to films. And that kind of, you know, by the time I graduated, I knew that, you know, films was all that I wanted to do. I never actually knew that films was a profession. You know what I mean? Like movies were this mystical, magical right. thing that was out there. I didn't know it was an actual job that you could do. You know, so where I'm from, almost everyone is either an engineer, a lawyer, a teacher, or a doctor, or something like that. So, uh, you know, movies wasn't much of an option. But when I realized that that is kind of that I had a flair for it, you know, that's when I decided to kind of completely make the switch. And so, and so you were a doctor for a certain amount of time then? I graduated med school, practiced for a tiny bit. And by that time, I, I was trying to kind of balance both of that together, but I just couldn't, I wasn't doing justice to either one of the professions. So I left medicine completely and got, you know, completely immersed myself into films and filmmaking. So you go ahead and make that, that change. And how does your family feel about that? Uh, it was, different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a journey. It was a whole journey. It was a journey for them. It was a journey for me. I mean, I guess, you know, when you're a doctor, it's so much more easier to say, hi, you know, I'm Dr. Lakshmi Devi. And, you know, you, you get immediate validation. And then from that to go to being a fresh new, uh, you know, actor uh, where you don't know where you stand and you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know if you're ever going to make any money. <laughs> you know, are you going to be starving? <laughs> it's a whole path and a whole journey. I'm at a really good place now, but it's definitely, you know, been quite a tenacious journey. So you took a big leap of faith. I did. I and, did. And, I did. That, and that leap of faith. Oh, man. And it's, <laughs> it's, but then you're just like, okay, this is what I, I, it doesn't feel like work compared to yeah. when you're a doctor, right? Or the Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I felt that like I'm, uh, you know, no matter how many hours I was putting in, no matter how crazy any schedule got, I just, I was never tired. I was always in it. I have been then, I'm I still am now. Uh, you know, I have, like, there's no plan B. This is all that I want to do. And so that's about it. So there's no question about whether you're going to do it or not. You know, it is what it is. This is what I want to do. And I, I hope that I get the opportunity to do this till the day I die. All right. So talk about the whole thing, mo modeling mm -hmm. as well. And specifically, mm -hmm. was modeling first for you? Yes, it was modeling first. I very randomly, I got picked up uh, when I was, you know, shopping in a shopping mall. You have uh, like fashion choreographers over there who do a lot of, uh, you know, print and TV advertisements and runway modeling. And someone came up to me and asked me, I remember people had been asking me, uh, you know, on and off from the time I was in school. But, you know, I come from kind of a conservative background and it wasn't much of, a, of an option uh, to be very honest, but then I just decided to take the leap and I started doing a lot of print and uh, TV advertisements and that led on to film offers in India. And then, you know, there was just no looking back. There you go. And so mm -hmm. from there you did tell us what happened after that, after you did modeling, how did, 
acting, producing, all that stuff kind of go? Um, acting kind of very organically happened from there. I've always been on stage from the time I was very young. Uh, I've been dancing and doing drama. But I, like I said, I never knew it was an actual profession. So it was just something that you did. You know, you studied and then you went to dance class and you went to drama school. It's just what you did. Uh, so when modeling kind of uh, took off, I almost simultaneously started getting film offers in India. And then I took up a few projects and I started acting. And that's when I realized that I really, really like this. And I had a certain flair for it. Of course, it was a huge learning curve. And, you know, my understanding of the industry, of the profession. And uh, once I started getting more and more involved in it, that kind of I, I turned to becoming a screenwriter. So I first became an actor and then I became a screenwriter and then I became uh, a producer director. Uh, you know, so it was kind of that sort of arc. The more involved I was in it, the more interested I got, the more interested, you know, it's hard to kind of keep me away from any aspect of filmmaking now, you know? So uh, at times when I'm doing a project, I actually have to tell people who are working on my team. Now, this project I'm directing, the other one I'm acting and directing, that one I'm only producing. So people have to kind of keep tabs on what I do half of the time. So, so talk about the actors, director type mm -hmm. of deal. So you did some acting, uh, then projects. That, how long into acting did you start doing acting, more of the producing and directing type stuff? Um, I think um, probably about six or seven years into acting is when I started uh when i started when i actually got my first film made so when i started screenwriting i've always written from the time i was a child mm -hmm. i would write either poetry or short stories or something like that but i never really found my niche right oh uh, when it came to screenwriting is when i kind of found my niche when i knew that you know what this is kind of where i think i can do a really good job and that's how i wrote my first short film i know even before that i actually wrote my first feature film and that got made, I think, in 2016. And from there onwards, I became a screenwriter. And then almost immediately, I started, you know, getting into other aspects. So I had one film as a screenwriter. And then the next film that I did, uh, I became a director and a producer. I found my own production house called Fight Eye Talkies. It's based out of here in New York. Uh, you know, and then I started directing music videos and, you know, other uh, short films and, you know, prepping up for my next feature. All right. It's, well, thank you. it's been a little fast. I think the it journey seems like from, fast. Well, I guess yeah. after yeah. all that time spending in medical school and all that stuff, everything yeah. just goes quickly and goes. So yeah. Fast. Yeah. So your latest project, you know, yeah. it's definitely something that I, I'm sure you're very passionate about, especially mm -hmm. who's involved when the music changes. So tell me how this how how it came about. Uh, when the music changes, it's it, this is a film that um, is extremely close to me. It was very cathartic to shoot. Also, it was um, I've acted, directed, produced it, written it. Uh, you know, we, it's uh, um, a forty-eight minute mid-length feature film. Uh, it's now on iTunes and Google Play and uh, YouTube movies. And when I did this, I shot the film. It's in English, but it was shot entirely in India in a city called Hyderabad. I had fantastic actors with me. Uh, we shot the entire film in three days. And remember, it's 48 minutes, and we shot that in three days. It's not yeah. based in one location, in one room with two actors. This is a full-fledged film with multiple actors, multiple locations. And I couldn't have done it without a wonderful technical team. I had Abhinandan Ramanujam, who's a very well-known Indian cinematographer, uh, you know, behind the camera. I had Achyu Rajamani, who had done the music. He's also extremely well-known in India. 
Uh, I had brilliant actors. I, uh, you know, my the other roles were played by Avid and Naveen George Thomas and Vignesha Subramaniam and Shreya. These are like, everyone was so good at their job that it really helped me uh, act and direct, uh, you know, with some kind of ease. Of course, it was hectic, but, you know, yeah. I had brilliant people working with me so that I could actually pull this off. Uh, the storyline is, uh, it's harsh, it's raw, it's gruesome. I had, a, I made it, I, it was very purposeful to make sure that I made a film that probably could kind of create some amount of change and impact. You know, there's um, um, a huge rape scene in the film, you know, spoiler alert. And, uh, you know, just to shoot it itself was agonizing, but I had to shoot it in that kind of raw way so that I, you know, I made sure that anyone who watched it actually felt uncomfortable enough so that I could kind of bring about conversation and change. So that was the whole point behind the film. I was getting tired of seeing, you know, violence around me all the time. They say that in India with the current reports that are going on, every 16 minutes, someone is raped oh, in the country. No. Yeah, and that is just the Indian statistics. It's still a global issue. We have this all the time. Women's safety is of a priority somehow or the other, I think because it's so common, it's kind of a part of our life. I always say that, you know, when a man wakes up in the morning, he doesn't necessarily think about, mm, am I gonna be safe? If I wear this shirt, do you think that someone's going to do something to me? You know, that's not even a process that a man has to go through. Whereas yeah. women all over the world, we whether we pick and choose a piece of clothing, we have to wonder if we're asking for it. We have to wonder if we, you know, should be there at that point of time. Whether if we drink a glass of alcohol, is someone going to, you know, is that going to be a yes for someone around us? You know, so there's just so many aspects. The whole story, the whole screenplay is a culmination of multiple stories that I've seen of different people around me in my life. And I just, I wanted their voices to be heard. It also has an angle of physical and mental abuse and a comparison between that along with honor shaming and what happens if you actually do get raped and what your future should be and your thought process should be. So yeah, it's a film that I'm very proud of. That's fantastic. And then the other thing is big is your the portions of the film go towards uh, the fight with Roe v. Wade and explain what particular plan mm -hmm. planner and what, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I did my part. It's, uh, you know, I believe that everyone has to have the right to do whatever they want to do with their body. And, you know, abortion rights, what they're doing now, I think is it's, it's hogwash and it's just like shaded mirrors. I don't even think that that's what they're trying to concentrate on. They're just trying to take away our attention. Uh, you know, no one's trying to kill babies. You know, they're just trying to do what they think is best for themselves at that particular point of time. I don't think I'm a doctor and I don't think that anyone should have unplanned pregnancies, you know, have children if they're not ready for it, especially along with, you know, medical complications. And there's just so many layers to it. So I want to do my bit. So with the film, you know, a certain percentage of the profits definitely will be going to Planned Parenthood. All right. So the, where's the best place people can check out the film and stuff? Where can they go? Oh, iTunes, Google Play, as well as YouTube movies. All right, fantastic. It's up there. It's easily accessible. Please do go Where, where do we follow you on social media? Uh, well, I'm really active on social media, especially Instagram. My handle is Lakshmi Devi on Instagram. And on Twitter, it is Lakshmi Devi NYC. On Facebook also, it's Lakshmi Devi NYC. All right, well, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it.
great information and definitely your, your passion about what you do. And you went for your dreams. You <laughs> Now you're happy you made that choice after <laughs> the, the challenges to get to where you are, but now you're where you're at and it's all looking up for you. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. It was okay. lovely talking to you. You too. Take care. Okay. Take all care. Right. Thank You're you. listening and watching the Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show. And I, love always interviewing authors because I get to learn so many different things. And it, in my 7,000 plus interviews I've done in my career in over 12 years, uh, I constantly learn things. So I'm excited to welcome the program author, Marissa Jones of the Lotus Tattoo. How are you, Marissa? And thanks for stopping by. Hi, Neil. I'm doing great. It's so exciting to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm excited to talk with you. And I think that, you know, when you talk about writing a book and why you wrote a book, it's always an interesting answer because a lot of times it's people finally say, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write something to tell the story or others decide to write the book because they have a certain product or service. It just all depends. Tell us the story of why you wrote the book. So um, actually, I had started writing a couple of books in the past um, and they just never got anywhere because my passion really wasn't in it. Um, my first book actually was a book on how to build computers back in the 80s. <laughs> That's how far go oh, my okay. back it goes. Um, but, uh, you know, I was at my nutritionist's office and she wanted me to tell a story about how I had converted my mom's Sicilian recipes to, to grain-free versions because of my health uh, issues. And, um, and she says, you have a great story about your food. You need to tell the class. And I went home that night and I thought, I have an even better story to tell. And it was time. Um, and so I started writing the book and I couldn't stop. It was just one of those things where I woke up every night in the middle of the night, just writing notes and writing and writing and writing. And it just grew. And what was interesting was in the past, when I started writing books, I would tell people I was writing a book and no one was really interested. So I lost interest. But this time I was telling people about I was writing my memoir and I was telling them about the deep, dark secrets I was writing about, like all the skeletons in my closet were coming out in this book. And I had every person come to me and share private things about their lives that no one ever knew. Things that they were in Alcoholics Anonymous or things that, you know, no one at work knew or things that they were being abused at home by a spouse or things on how they felt guilty about how they were raising their kids or they weren't the best mom or they were drinking. And there were so many different stories that I heard. And, and the fact that they would tell me that some of them were just acquaintances, they weren't even close friends or family, um, telling me their most private, darkest skeletons. I thought there is something here that if they're telling me this, that I need to tell my story to give people permission to start telling theirs because that's where healing comes from. And so um, I wrote the book and uh, it's just, it's been fantastic ever since what's come from it. You know, and without giving it away, because you want to talk about it, it's, you can give some portions, but this is so powerful because to share your memoir in a way for people to see just how heartbreaking things that were part of your life to be putting that on paper is a hard thing. And so you don't want to give it away, but you want to kind of give people an understanding of some of the challenges you've gone through in your life. Absolutely. So, um, you know, 
I want to balance that with, I was very successful in life, right? I, I was, I have a 30 year career in IT. I was running multi-million dollar global projects, uh, um, you know, for large Fortune 100 companies. And I was very successful in life. I had the husband, I had the, the big house, I had the, you know, the kids and everything looked great on the outside, but I had suffered with depression for most of my life. Um, I'm first generation American. My parents are Sicilian immigrants, uh, born and raised in New York. And um, my dad was an abusive alcoholic. And that created in me an anger that I carried with most of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I spent most of my life um, being a bully as a kid, yeah. as an adult, uh, to my own kids. Uh, I was a bully. I was also, um, I was always trying to escape. So I drugs and alcohol was a big part of my life on and off. Um, and there were so many things that that I carried with me, that I created decisions in my life based on that. And uh, there were a lot of times with depression and suicidal ideation that, that I carried. And so um, with that, um, you know, I just accepted it. This is who I am and this is who I have to continue to be. And so again, I was balancing that with a career that I was ashamed to talk about my past. Like no one knew right. all the hardships I had because of all the shame. No one knew that I was bullying my kids at home because I couldn't tell anyone they were gonna take my kids away, right? And so uh, I carried all the, the shame. And then um, and then in 2009, um, you know, I divorced my husband because he was having an affair. Um, I was so focused on work. I wasn't, didn't really care about my home life. And I had what I call my mental breakdown. It was like all this childhood stuff just kind of, you know, yeah. it just came to the surface. And I found myself at 45 years old, sleeping under the covers in a fetal position, severe PTSD. Uh, mm -hmm. I was drinking two bottles of wine at night. Um, luckily my mom was living with me and she helped me raise my young kids because I was emotionally detached. And uh, I knew I had to fix myself and I had no idea what to do. Um, so I made a promise to myself that I was going to heal and I started a self-help journey and here I am now helping others doing the same. So it's been a great ride for well, sure. Definitely does. And so you're going to hear a lot about specifically enough in your memoir, you're the, you're in the bed, living the best life possible, but you aren't, you're broken right. inside the, the, the relationship ended then the distraught and pain. A lot of people, when they go through breakups, regardless of the situation, their lives change in so many ways and they have to understand. And in a lot of ways, it took you time to cope to understand that I just didn't understand myself. And it goes back to myself, not you know pointing fingers at other people when we all have that anger, we all that say that it was somebody else's fault. Well, you gotta look back at your childhood. You gotta look at back at your decisions you've made and you gotta look back at all that. And so that's what your book's trying to tell people, right? Right, and my ex-husband, he had gotten addicted to prescription drugs and he was in a program afterwards and he had to make amends. And he called me and he said, uh, he said something that stuck with me. And he said, you know, when you get angry, he said, you turn into that five-year-old little girl who's trying to defend herself from her father. And that was a wake up call to me. And, uh, and, and that's what I started searching. Like, what am I still carrying from that? Right. What, what have I done in my life that was because of what happened to me? 
And, um, and so that was really the basis for how I moved forward with my company and how I decided I wanted to help others. So now I've created a program where I help others go back to their childhood. And, you know, everyone's, they picture the psychiatrist going, okay, lay on the couch and tell me about your mom and dad. But the reality is, is, you know, 70% of adults have some sort of trauma that they carry. With mm-hmm. and it, some of it could be severe. It could be sexual abuse. It could be physical abuse. Some of it could be they've witnessed a horrific event in their life, like a murder or uh, somebody in their family dying. Um, but it could be just, it could be abandonment. It could be a narcissistic parent. I mean, there's so many things that we carry with us. Some are really good and some right. are not so. And children can't, can't handle seeing adult things happen right right the more you keep them away from adult things the better and to understand especially if there's a bad relationship in the home or something the adult needs to not lay the burden to the children of what's happening absolutely you it will be a deep cause in what they decide to do in life absolutely it could be one unhappy parent that's through dealing with depression it could be a, a breakup it could be, as you talk about, severe as abuse or loss, but you really have to look back at that person. So what you do when you work with your clients is basically you really find out what are their favorite memories as a child, probably, probably looking at specifically enough any pain they remember, and then look at decisions in it because they might not know to an adult why, right? We got bullied in school, right? All of us got bullied school. It doesn't matter who we are. I mean, everyone at one point was bullied. Uh, they dealt, you know, it could be something involving academics in school, where you just never reached a certain potential. You couldn't learn well or getting hooked in specific alcohol at a younger age or the wrong crowd that stems to who you are as an adult. That's really interesting that you spring that up because it's so true way we are shaped in life. You know, we can transform ourselves. There's still going to be so many cobwebs in our closet may be cleaned out. Right. And so, so what I do is I work with, so most of my clients are very successful adults who have woken up one day and it's kind of like that David Byrne song where they're like, you know, I have a beautiful house and a beautiful wife and you know, how did I get here? And they wake up and they don't know who they are. They really, they've lost their identity. And sometimes it takes a major life impact for them to identify you know, that they're really depressed or have anxiety or they don't know who they are. But sometimes it's it's minor and they just start questioning, you know, I feel like I'm an imposter, I'm unhappy, you know, I don't know where I'm going in life. And so what I do is I, I really help them to identify, you know, what life impacts have you had that you're still carrying and which of those do you want to let go? And I help them work through the process of, you know, what triggers are based on the events that have happened to them. What decisions have they made? What what values come out of it? Because as a child, we we grow up and we have these this value system that's imprinted on us, but we don't know how to identify what those values are. So I help them to identify what their values are because you'd be surprised, Neil, how many times I'll ask a client, you know, what's your belief in this, right? What's your value in family? What's your value in marriage? And they say, we this, we this, and they're talking about their spouse or their partner or their kids. And it's like, no, 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 what's your value? And then they say, I don't know. I don't know because their values are, they've, they've just immersed themselves into their environment. And they don't really know who they are. They've lost themselves. 
So I help them get back to that. And, and you know, if you think about what a value is, right? If I ask, if I ask you, Neil, to go to your neighbor's house and go steal something, would you do it? Yeah. Right. Because, and you don't know how to put a value to that. You just know innately you that's know, the answer. You know what the results, but there's other you know things the, that are not value. That are not value, right. That you don't have where you don't know what the result's going to be of that thing doing that. So for example, making a huge mistake in some relationship or doing something so rash or financially too much credit card debt or gaining so much weight, you don't know the repercussions till you learn that lesson. And that's where wisdom comes. But a lot of times people haven't gotten to that point. Right. And, we and, go through, and we go through the enjoyment of doing that, eating a lot of food, right? Or drinking a lot or over or, or gambling a lot or make not growing up a lot. But the result at the end has you show that, but sometimes you don't figure that out till it's too late. Right. And what it does is it creates guilt, regret, yeah. and shame. And when you make a decision based on your values, you have no guilt, regret, or shame. Right? It, right? If you, if you make a decision not to steal from your neighbor, there's no guilt, regret, or shame because right. that's who you are. But we don't know what our values are. So when we get back to our values, going forward, every single decision you make supports you 100%. So you never make a bad decision. And everything you do supports your well-being, your mental health, the decisions you make, and and you move forward very differently than when you move forward making decisions based on not knowing who you really are inside. You feel yourself, okay? Yes. So, so you think of yourself first, which we're not taught to think about. We're taught right. about everybody else. We're not focusing on ourselves. It has right. to do with a little bit of Judeo-Christian values, but also has to do a lot with the moral code that has been brought up in our world. And the fact is that if we go ahead and not think about ourselves and think about others and constantly just go 100 miles an hour and not look at ourselves and how we feel, we're going to hit this wall and we're going to break. Right. Over and over and over. That's one of the one of the things I hear from my clients the most is I get into the cycle where I'm really confident and everything's going right. Great. And then I crash because because, you know, I don't know where I'm going and I'm, I'm lost. And and it's that repeating cycle. And until you break that cycle, it's going to continue to happen and it'll continue to happen to your children because you're teaching them your behaviors and actions based on your your own trauma. And that, and so that's great. So where can people pick up the book? Where's the best place? Uh, you can go to Amazon. If you look up uh, the Lotus Tattoo Memoir, uh, you, my book will automatically come up. Um, you can go to my website. It's myeverydaybeing.com. Myeverydaybeing.com. I have coaching. I have a, a six-month my, uh, mindful uh, mindset warrior, the art of intentional thinking. It's a six-month intensive boot camp to help rid of all of the issues and traumas that you're carrying and help you move forward and identify who you are. Um, and I have a lot of online courses as well that you can, you can take uh, as well. You have a tremendous mission to keep helping people for sure. So I appreciate you coming by. Thank you, Neil. Thanks. You're, I appreciate it. You're, you're watching and listening to the Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show here on the caregiver. Dave's property segment. I'm excited to welcome to caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? What's going on, man? Uh, in the middle of a book uh, promo and preview and uh, just doing all sorts of stuff. I got a lot of plates. I'm spinning like on the Ed Sullivan show. You got to do that. Hey, hey, that's what life makes life interesting and easy. 
Uh, not easy, but fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So our guests today are best international best-selling authors, and they are writing this. Uh, they wrote the second of the series, Sons of Valor Two: Violence of Action. So I'm excited to welcome to the show Brian and Jeff, uh, best-selling authors Brian Andrews and Jeffrey Wilson. Guys, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Hey, it's great to be here, man. Thanks for having us. And yeah, that's our first time on the show, so we're excited. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for your service. So let's get together and see how you guys got together to write the first book. Jeffrey, how did that happen? Oh, yeah. So that's a that's a strange story. Um, so Brian and I were friends before we started co-authoring. We actually met uh, through an organization called International Thriller Writers, which most people are familiar with now. They have a meeting every year in New York. We just got back from it, in fact, uh, called Thriller Fest. And uh, we were writing independently at the time. And I'll tell you, the weird thing about me is I'm not that social. So I was like sitting in a hotel room my very first time and I'm looking through the book. I'm trying to find other military guys so that I have something I can talk to. And uh, we go down to this cocktail reception and there's Brian. Now, Brian was a submarine officer. So you understand he's sitting yeah. by himself and crying and like feeling all right. Uh, and I felt Tears in my beer. Right. Right. Exactly. I felt sorry for him. So I went <laughs> over and. Uh, no, but I was looking for to connect with other military folks, and we we became friends instantly. We're, we're both family guys, all about family. Our kids are the same age; like it was just a natural connection. Cool. Um, and then we didn't really start writing until uh, uh, together, at least until a couple years after that. Brian, when you first thought about writing with Jeffrey, was that were you a little nervous about that having to write? I mean, I was concerned that he had stalked me at that cocktail party a little bit. So, I mean, that was kind of a red flag, but he's really talented. So I said, okay, I'll put that red flag aside because he's such a good writer. Um, and I need that, you know, to help, you know, because if he can write all the books and I can just be on these interviews, that's very, very good for my career. So that's kind of how we ended up where we are. So are you both writers now? <laughs> no, we, we both write. It is a shared collaboration thing. And, uh, you know, what's really, really cool about it is when we when we met, I had written, I think I had published two books and Jeff had published three. And we were both sort of in that lull trying to figure out what is our next project going to be. And so my pitch to Jeff was, hey, I did submarines. You work with Naval Special Warfare. Why don't we do like a subs and seals sort of book? And initially, I think, you know, his reservation or maybe his concern was, hey, how do you collaborate on a novel? This is something like, you know, you just do by yourself. Writers write by themselves. But um, I think when we just started working on it, we realized, hey, you know, all the values that we had from our military service, which is collaboration, teamwork, mission before self, you know, these things are very real. It's the reason that these high functioning teams can get out there and do what seem like impossible, impossible missions. Uh, we just applied that to our writing partnership. Yeah. So who's what gifts do you both bring to the table as far as writing goes? Because, you know, I'm a writer. And some people are really good at just putting it down, you know, like a Mozart first time. Others, man, they got to edit, re-edit, re-edit. So what's going on? Between yeah, we're, the, we're those blue collar writers, you know, that we just got to pound it out and do the work. Um, and there's no question that, you know, each of us bring different strengths and weaknesses to the table. But what's interesting at this point is, you know, I, the things that were my weaknesses have I've gotten better at. And I think Brian uh, also by working together. We've learned from each other. And so now it's this weird synergy. We kind of joke that we 
like have this one brain. Like I, there are times I'm not making this up. I'll call up Brian. I'll say, dude, I have the perfect solution to the climax. Here's what he goes. Wait, wait, wait. What about this? And it's exactly what I was going to say. So at this point, I think, you know, we probably balance each other perfectly. Um, yeah. And we have this weird method where we write simultaneously, which yeah. is another whole thing. But um, so I, I don't know. I don't I don't think that uh, that those strengths and weaknesses play out as much anymore. I think now it's just sort of like an Andrews and Wilson novel. It starts that way and ends that way. <laughs> yeah. Am I making that up, Brian? You agree? With no, that? no, no. I mean, it sounds like something that we just say on an interview, but it's how we get so many books done. If we if, <laughs> if that method didn't work, uh, we wouldn't be on this show. We, we wouldn't have time. We'd just be writing, you know, nonstop. So. It really is sort of that division of labor. I think um, in our case, you know, the old, you know, the old saying, you know, one and one is greater than two. That's that's very much true for us. We have a synergy. So there's this force multiplier effect when we when we get working together, because I think what happens to a lot of writers and we sort of feel sorry for everybody who has to write by themselves now. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. But um, we feel sorry for you because, you know, when you get writer's block, who do you call, you know? we're in the project together. So we're both up to speed and we never get stuck. You know, so the minute that one of us is like starting to slow down or lose momentum or get confused about where we should go, the other guy's just a phone call away. And that's, that's well, really I'm not really alone. I've got a very good friend who's a New York Times bestselling author and she helps a lot. Good, good. Everybody it's nice to have a buddy somebody. to call, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, when you think about it, Jeffrey, did you think the first book would be the success it was? Especially you guys both broke books other before that. Yeah, well, as, as you heard from Brian, he's uh, soft, soft playing it a little bit. I was a little reticent. I actually was completely against it. Just <laughs> And again, not because of any, you know, him or me. It's just like I didn't see how it would work. So um, I think I went into it with low expectations for what we could produce. But I will tell you that within a week, right, Brian, like a week or two weeks, it was so exciting and fun. It was the most fun project we'd ever the first time you and Dave you get this like you sit it down you walk away you come back you read it and you're like damn that's really good who wrote that right <laughs> and um I think we knew when we did our first pass at the end I think we knew we had something pretty special yeah um, just because of the military the gritty realism that we were able to put into it you know we we pride ourselves that we write books that honor the people we served with and and what we mean by that is if they read it they wouldn't be pissed right they, they would read it and go yeah that's exactly right and we focus on character we focus on the relationships and the toll that this type of uh, service has on people um and so i think that's something we were able to do together even better than individually so i think the first pass we knew we had something pretty special and i assume it's all honest there's no fluff in there no who, writers who put in fluff <laughs> what is that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of are excited uh, about the industry in general because, you know, the, the, the guys that were the, the titans or sort of the iconic authors, you know, your Tom Clancy, your Robert Ludlum, these guys that trailblazed our particular industry, they were fans and advocates of the military, but they, they were not serving. You know, Tom Clancy was given access to ride on submarines. And, 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 you know, got to meet with the, the CO and the Cobb and the sonar supervisors and officer decks. And he got, you know, unfettered access. But I lived that, you know, like I actually did those things. And so now, you know, like Jeff's a veteran, Don Bentley, who's writing the Clancy series, Josh Hood. Um, these guys are great uh, authors, but they're also veterans. 
So we're bringing sort of a different level of authenticity, I think, to the genre uh, than, than it's ever had before. Now, Jeffrey, tell us a little about Sons of Valor 2 without giving it Yeah, Sons of Valor 2 is really fun for us because it's actually um, our first try at a spinoff, a shared universe kind of series. You know, the, the tier one series, to understand Sons of Valor, you got to understand that series. The, the premise of that series is that the entire JSOC SEAL team gets wiped out because during an ambush because of leaked and faulty intelligence. And the only survivor, our, our John Dempsey, is given a new identity buried with his teammates and joins a task force to hunt down the people responsible. So that's a real fun. And we've, we've gone six books now, the seventh comes out next year, but all along we were like, you know, if that happened in real life, eventually they'd stand that SEAL team up. And we had this minor character, uh, Keith Redmond, Chunk is his, is his nickname. And he appeared in a couple of the early books and actually a little bit in, in four of the six books. Um, as just a t SEAL team leader who augmented our task force. And we got so much fan mail about Chunk. Everybody loved Chunk. Like we, he'd be in two chapters and we get more mail than on some <laughs> of our main characters. And so when we thought about spinning off this series, we were like, we got to give it to Chunk. Like Keith Redman and his boys, that's got to be the new tier one SEAL team. And we're with Blackstone now, who we absolutely love. And they gave us just, you know, full support. They're like, we trust you, do it how you want. And so we spun this series off. It's all JSOC tier one level SEAL team action. Uh, but what's fun about this series to me is that it's nouveau. And what I mean by that is, you know, for 20 years, we had a very asymmetric battle in real life. You know, we're fighting goat herders in the, that are in the Taliban running around with AK-47s, but that's not true anymore. The new generation of terrorists are much more sophisticated. They're educated, they're multilingual, they're tech savvy. And so some of that asymmetry is disappearing in our world now. And on the good guy side, we have a new generation of, of SEALs and, and other operators who some weren't even born at 9-11, which is impossible almost for me to fathom as an old guy. And so what does that look like? What does this new generation of counterterrorism look like? And we were able to pull those threads through. It was so much fun. In case you can't tell, it was so much fun. <laughs> how, much is, how much is fiction and how much is nonfiction in your stories? I mean, I think what we try to do is, is war game out, you know, what's going to, or what could happen. You know, that's what's exciting for authors is that what if question, you know, what if this happened? And like Jeff mentioned, you know, with the asymmetric battlefield, one of the, the important advantages that we had was drone technology. You know, the Predator drone ushered in a whole new era of battlefield tactics. And now, you know, 20 years later, you have uh, Chinese building these Predator clone drones that can be sold for a tenth of the cost. So suddenly something that was unaccessible to maybe a terrorist organization, you know, because of defense industrial controls and price tag, now it's possible that these guys can get drones. And we're seeing in Ukraine the impact of those, the Turkish drone. It's a low cost drone. It's not as capable as the Predator, but look at what damage it's been able to inflict on the, the Russian forces. So once, you know, a terrorist organization starts getting their hands on the same technology that we've used to dominate the battle space, that changes the whole tactical picture. And that's kind of what we played around with in this series. I will say just yeah. to add, uh, in terms of, you know, fiction versus nonfiction, uh, it's always important for us to get this out. Because we served, uh, because I actually served in, in the JSOC community, we take OPSEC very, very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. 
So while I think that we realistically portray the, the people, their relationships, their heart, their soul, their families, we fictionalize anything that could have any impact on operational security whatsoever, because we still have brothers and sisters out there on the pointy tip of the spear. And so um, a lot of the tactics, a lot of the, even the weapon systems are highly fictionalized. We don't write about anything that isn't open source material, but the geopolitics, like Brian said, that's the fun stuff, right? That's the, that's a writer stuff. What if every story starts with that? Um, and so we've, we've been able to keep ourselves informed. We both read a lot about defense issues, geopolitical issues, uh, and that sort of informs our writer what if thing. All right. So Dave has a question that he asks every guest. Go ahead, Dave, with your question. Well, I'm a caregiver. You know, 25 years ago, my wife had this headache that just wouldn't go away. We were going to see a doctor, but, you know, who wants to go to a doctor? But it turned into a stroke, lost her speech, became paralyzed one side. After a couple of years of grieving, we re reinvented ourselves. She still can't talk or walk but she can communicate non-verbally through Pictionary charades and she has a power chair. We now travel around the world, speak and uh, on television. We're just helping caregivers stay alive because 30% of them die from, you know, the stress and many more become hospitalized and need a caregiver of their own. Have you thought about uh, caring or have you already done this for maybe one of your relatives? Does, is it on your mind? Uh, all caregivers used to be normal people like you and I, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, you're a caregiver. Yeah. So that's a, uh, that's something that's a little more personal for me now, because I've got someone in my family that is, um, that is moving in that direction, uh, which is very, very stressful on our family. And you have to, you know, what a shame we wait so long to ask the question, Hey, what will we do? You know, talk to your siblings, who's going to be responsible and that sort of thing. Nobody seems very good these days at, at formulating a plan. In our case, we've got something that's a little bit more slow and, and insidious. And so um, we have the opportunity to do that. But it's definitely something that's on the mind in my family uh, a lot these days. Um, and, got, you know, God bless you. That's that's amazing. Your story is so amazing. That's the, the end of the story that you guys are traveling. You're doing things that you don't you, you didn't let it define you. You didn't let it define her. You were able to adapt and overcome. That's the military mindset. Right. So that's very inspirational. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I guess I would say, you know, I, I, I think about this too. Uh, my, my wife and I, our parents are getting older and they're at that age where you have to start thinking about, you know, what, what, you know maybe they can't support themselves and live on their own anymore. We built this house. Uh, for, fortunately, we were able to do it. You know, we built a house that has an extra bedroom on the first floor. We built it ADA compliant. It's zero entry on the ground floor. So if we needed to bring a wheelchair in and out, we could because uh, we just didn't like the idea of sending a parent off to a facility to be alone and, and have somebody else take care of it. I mean, like you said, I, I think when you look back at the history of what it is to be humans uh, and be good humans, it's that we take care of, we take care of our own and, and our family unit is the core of that. So, you know, we've made plans uh, for, for that. And um, it hasn't happened yet, but I, I think, like Jeff said, you know, I'm at the age where, where we're, we're seeing that could happen in the next few years. Awesome. All right. Best place we can find information on both of you guys and purchase a book. Where can we go? Yeah, you get our books are available everywhere. Uh, the best way to, to follow what's coming. And it's hard to do because we do three or four books a year right now for the next few years. We've got uh -huh. several series simultaneously in progress. And now we've got some. TV deals uh, in pre-production and a film deal. So 
The easiest thing to do is go to andrews-wilson.com, www.andrews-wilson.com. Everything about all our projects, sign up for the newsletter. That way, when a new thing pops up, we can keep you in the loop. I will say a lot of people spam you with their newsletters. We don't do that. If, if it's coming to you in your inbox, it's because there's something to say. We don't, we, don't, we don't sell advertising space or anything like that. So uh, that's the easiest way to get us. So the TV deals, you can't say anything yet, but they're coming. I know it's so painful. It's killing us. You have no idea. Yes, we actually have signed uh, several deals. We actually have four deals already signed, uh, but we have to. We don't want to get ahead of the producers, and we want them to be allowed to make make those announcements. But they'll be coming out very. But it's, it's been a it's been a very cool couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, it has. Well, congrats. That's and when you become yes. caregivers, make sure you go to caregiverdave.com. Help you uh, survive instead of uh, well thrive instead of survive caregiving. Thank you. Thank you. And let us know how we can support that and promote it, please. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right. That was the Caregiver Dave celebrity segment, guys. Take care.